Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Beauty and the Beast Physical Therapy and Strength Interesting Podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Ross Childs. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Glad you're back for another wonderful episode. Uh, it's episode 51 now. Adam and I completely uh, negated the fact that it was 50 the last time, and uh, it's a big deal. Uh, did you think when we started this that we'd be 51 episodes in? I mean, I hoped so, but you never know. You never, uh, never sure till you get there. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, we've we've talked about a lot of things, and uh, I don't know. It's just kind of wild to to think when we started. Yes, we wanted this to to grow, and I mean, it's fun. I enjoy doing it. So, yeah. um, but now it's like, wow, people have listened to us shoot the shit, ramble, yell, swear, uh, and everything in between for for fifty one episodes now. So, it's pretty awesome. Um, have you been enjoying the uh, the nicer weather today? It's like yeah. supposed to get to like fifty two. That's what. Like yeah, that. it's pretty. It's decently nice out there now. It's still a little bit of wind, but I can't complain. I I don't mind it when it's like this. This kind of like long pants, but like not having, yeah. but not snow pants and a sure. and a sweatshirt weather. I'm in. Well, it's, it, what's funny is usually every winter, and, and we've talked about before how usually I'm not fond of winter because of how cold it gets and the ice and the wind and all that shit. Um, this year I haven't had time to hate it, and now we're at the point where it's like, all right, it almost feels like spring. Now it's like, oh, I kind of miss winter now. So it's just it's kind of weird when that happens. But yeah, well, uh, if we get a real uh, spring this year, I'll actually be happy. So I feel like that's something that's been missing. I mean, what's the what's the? Well, it's kind of an easy question, but really, what's what's the big? What do you like to do when it becomes spring-like weather? What's the one thing that you enjoy doing the most? Well, it kind of sucks because I don't really get to do it as much anymore. Um, just because, well, I'm not a kid and I'm not in school anymore. But uh, the one thing that I always associate with spring, and it's like that, it's like when it's 40 or 50, when it's like melting and there's like that, I can't even describe it. It's like that spring smell. Like it doesn't, Mm. it's not cold. It's like this crisp. I know what you mean. And my brain automatically connects that with baseball. Yep. Because that's, I remember every single time, because when I was in high school, when I was in grade school, we'd start off, um, you couldn't really play outside because the fields were still too wet. You'd tear them up. Yeah. So we'd always start in the gym. And I always remember just like, Leaving the car, walking into the gym, and smelling that, and that always being like the signal in the back of my mind that it's the start of baseball season. Yeah. And so, like, that's the first place my brain always goes. But just like getting out, being able to drive around with the windows open, you know, like, and it not being like so hot that you have to have the windows closed to turn the AC on, or so cold that you can only keep them open for five minutes. It's just, yeah. it's like that nice in between. If it wasn't for the, it wasn't as much for the, um, like, all the mud and all that stuff. Spring would probably be, like, one of, if not my favorite seasons just because of that. And I feel like the last couple have been pretty muddy. And then the transition have went, like, winter, 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 two days of spring, summer. Summer, yeah. yeah right into yeah. it. But um, I always think about kind of that first nice spring day where you can open all the windows. Yep, It's yep. like, and then that same smell, the spring yep. smell. Um, so that's what I look forward to. But it's just, like... I don't know that springtime and the transition into summer. I just I get jacked up. I yeah. just love it. But yeah. enough about that. So <laughs> today we're going to talk about shoulder impingement, uh, and we'll talk probably talk about some other things associated with it. Um, but we got some great feedback from talking about our hip impingement from last week. So we want to do the same thing with the shoulder. 
And really, if you think about the shoulder, it's really the same thing as the hip. It's a ball and socket joint. Uh, it has three degrees of freedom, meaning that it moves through all of the different planes, so front to back, side to side, and in rotations. Uh, it has a rotator cuff muscle, which really sets itself up for stabilization, which the rotator cuff is essentially the same thing as the butt muscle. So the, the really the only difference is one's a weight-bearing joint, one's a non-weight-bearing joint. So um, there's some subtle nuances as to why people will get shoulder impingement. And they're finding out now that the, the tissue structures may not actually get impinged. So it, someone may have heard the term subacromial pain syndrome has more to do with tissue sensitivity over time, but regardless, something is still causing the stress to be there. And we're gonna talk about the reasons as to why it may happen, some of the compensations that we'll see, um, some of the habitual things that we'll see, and then how to train around it, but then also how to train with it. And of course, we'll go through our, our ways that we best suggest treating it, because um, it's not necessarily something that you need to go to PT for. It's you just have to know where to start and understand the progressions of what we need to get you back to quote unquote normal. So now, Adam, have you ever had shoulder impingement? Um, not like in a very light sense of the word. Um, you know, just lack of range of motion, but not something that, not something to the point of you know someone right on the edge of sure. adhesive capsulitis or any of that type of stuff. Yeah, I've never been that never far. Never been that far, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up the the adhesive part because a lot of people don't realize that shoulder impingement, rotator cuff dysfunction can be considered stage one of adhesive capsulitis. Most of us heal from that and we never progress to what we would call true frozen shoulder. Mm. So I think it's important that people recognize that if not treated correctly, this can progress to something worse. It could turn into a rotator cuff uh, tear, could turn into a labral tear, could turn into the frozen shoulder. So we wanna really catch this early. I'd probably say, I don't get it so much now unless I do high volume. So let's say it's a workout, I decide to do 10 sets of 10 on push-ups. Mm -hmm. You know, push-ups are a pretty safe exercise to begin with. I think they're a great shoulder stability exercise, but 10 sets is a lot, so by the end, fatigue goes up, compensation goes up, and my left shoulder give me a little little grief, and then usually a couple days it goes away, but not, not a huge deal. But um, I can remember when I was younger, lifting like a bodybuilder, when the international bench day was on Monday, and then you do uh, barbell, flat bench, barbell, incline, yeah. barbell, decline, then you did all the same thing with machines, yeah. and then dumbbell um, flies. And, and I would I got it a bunch of times, and, and now I'm just seeing a lot of people now come down with it. So that's why I figured it'd be a good idea to uh, to talk about it. In your experience working with clients with with um, shoulder impingement, mm -hmm. I almost said frozen shoulder, but with shoulder impingement, what are some common impairments, or, or what what do you notice about their posture? that puts them at an increased likelihood of developing this? So more often than not, they're rounded forward. So their you know, pectorals are shortened, whether it's because they're somebody that works at a, a desk or, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before. How much of your life do you spend in front of you? Your hands are in front of you when you drive. Your hands are in front of you if you read, on your phone, whatever. I mean, which isn't, you know, the kiss of death, but we just are more liable to be in that position on a day-to-day -day basis, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute. So... 
But the more you're there, the more that you can get locked into that forward posture. So essentially like your shoulders are pulling forward, you're more, your upper back is more rounded rather than being relatively in quotes flat yep. because that's, you know, whatever open for interpretation. But anyways, um, which can lead to, you know, dysfunction of how the shoulder blade moves. It can, you know, again, tightening, it pulls everything forward into positions that is not ideal for the arm to be able to go up overhead, out to the side. Correct. You know, however far back you're trying to reach. Um, I'd say that's what I... It's that upward shrugged posture. It's almost like a... Sh- think if you're at home, don't know what I mean. Shrug and then move your shoulders forward. Like you're trying to touch your shoulders together in front of your chest. That's often the, the posture that leads to that. Yeah, because I, I can't think of anyone... Well, and again, I probably it's happened, but you know, for the average person, if, if you're in quote-unquote good posture, yeah. you have a balanced ratio of, of the muscles in the front of you and the back of you, and you haven't done something that grossly exceeds your tolerance. So let's yeah. say someone has to paint overhead. Mm-hmm. If you're not used to it, it's going to going to probably cause it but i've never seen that individual that i just described with shoulder impingement it's just everything seems to be well balanced oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah yes yes but when we see people with that rounded forward and you describe the environment that they live in perfectly you describe the environment that we all live in perfectly those muscles in the front are going to pull us forward mm-hmm. now the issue is with that then we see people who then want to then do push-ups and then what do we think that's going to do to the tissue well cranks on it even more then we see these people oh i'm going to press overhead well if we have someone who's rounded forward what happens to their shoulder mobility in your experience if they go to press something straight overhead it's very decreased exactly especially overhead yeah well you see they're never pressing perfectly vertical it's usually this angled forward Mm -hmm. press which is essentially like doing an incline press against some type of resistance. And then it's just more pressure and more pressure and more pressure. But a lot of them will actually say, I feel, I also feel this pinching pain in the back of my shoulder. Mm. That's that we're dealing with a secondary impingement. You know, I've probably say I've seen secondary impingement probably more than, than the one in the front primary impingement. Um, but that's also because the rotator cuff muscles now have to work harder to now try to pull you out of that quote-unquote bad position. The problem is they're never as strong as the front muscles. So then that, that game of tug-of-war, you know, the, the little engine that could, the rotator cuff keeps going, yep. fatigues out even faster, and then the pecs just take over even more. It, it's it's really, it's, it's a very unique design, our nervous system. So again, uh, someone or something knew what they were doing when they, when they designed us. We've just done that great job to... To destroy it. So <laughs> now what have you noticed specifically about someone's if they have that rounded shoulder posture and mm-hmm. they work out, what do they typically do with their head to try to get around that tightness? They either they usually jut their chin forward. Yeah. Or tuck it down. Yeah. Usually jut they usually jut it forward. Yep. So to give the Basically, to give themselves the impression that they're pressing all about overhead. perception, <clears throat> and then that forward head position rounds our back even more, yeah. puts more pressure on the front of our shoulders. 
So all these cheating mechanisms that we use really just set us up for failure. You know, in the beginning, they feel quite normal, but it really just, you just go straight down the list because then we round too much from the thoracic spine. We end up flattening through the mid thoracic. Then we end up flattening the lumbar because we're, we're so far forward at this point. Yeah. Uh, it really is just a, it's awful, but it's also awesome to see how just the next spot down the spine will just end up cheating for us. Um, Strength-wise, a lot of people will say, well, I feel weak in my, in my rotator cuff, so I'm just gonna strengthen them. And that's usually the first place people will go. I just don't think that's, that's a good way of go, going about it. Yeah. Because typically, they use bad posture when strengthening their rotator cuff. I was gonna cuff. say, rotate, I <clears throat> don't know that I can think of a small muscle group movement that is more challenging for me personally to do correctly than rotator cuff exercises. Mm. It is so, I have to focus so hard on making sure again, that when I'm, you know, going through external rotation, just the, you know, everybody and their mother has seen the one like arm by the side going out or arm at an angle and you're like, you're punching someone behind Mm. you. Um, to do those and also like I catch myself doing it. I'll get three or four reps in and I'll be like, wait a minute. Yeah. Chin okay, chin back. There we go. Okay. And then another three reps. Wait, I'm feeling that in the front of my shoulder. Okay, that was in the wrong position. Now it and that's me who has the amount of experience I have. They are very difficult to execute correctly without proper cueing. And if you're not doing them correctly, it can exacerbate the problem or create secondary issues. Sure. Now, I want to jump back to where you were talking about that rotator cuff exercise, rotating out to the side. Yeah. I, I just had a conversation at, with my students at Franklin Pierce about how that's a, a very shitty exercise to do. I know my reasoning for why it's shitty, and I'll say that in a minute. I want to know why, why you think that's not a great exercise. That's one of those exercises where, again, it it's very difficult to do correctly, A. Um, it relies heavily on where your arm is in relation to your torso. So like some people, the arm, you can't have your elbow tucked to your side. Some people have to have something in the middle. Some people put too much stuff in the middle. They get too high. They don't put enough. Yep. It, it, it's just hard to find the correct, the correct setup. And then on top of that, it's a very difficult motion to do without cheating somewhere. Correct. Because whenever somebody does a movement like that, they think that they should have this impressive range. When realistically, for some people, it's just like, boop. With the arm by the it's, side, if it's 55 degrees, I'm happy. Because yep. that means with abduction, you can get behind your head. But, you know, and, and we can think about like commercial gyms, for example. You see guys go to the bench, they'll grab like a 5 or 10 pound plate, mm-hmm. lock their elbows in and rotate. Yeah. Or dumbbells, I've seen that too. That's a terrible exercise. With a band, I'll let it slide because you're a variable resistance. Right. I'll buy that. But really, when they grab the weights in the front, they just rotate out to the side. It's a, just an isometric bicep exercise. Right. That's all it is. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. If they want to lay on their side and do it, fine, I'll give it to you. Because right. that's pure rotation. But I just told the students, it just you're better than that. Like, don't, don't, I mean, if you really think about the rotator cuff... It's more than just rotation. It screw locks the head of the arm bone in the socket throughout motion. 
So even if someone were to do a Y raise, for example, yeah. so not lateral raises, but Y raises. All right, really the goal should be, can we keep our posture in a good position? Because then the rotator cuff is going to screw lock the arm into the socket so that we don't get impingement. Right. And that's the important part with it. So um, I even prefer if people just you know, lay on the ground, turn their palms so they're facing the ground, mm -hmm. and then press their arms backwards into the floor. Yep. Even that is a better rotator cuff exercise yep. than that. The one that you described, I, I just think it's it's poor. It probably had some utility when they first created it, but like I said, we're, we're better than that, so we need to move on from it. Now, you've worked with a lot of people over your, your career now. People come in and, and, well, I won't say people come in. Are people more likely to not train when they've presented with it with you, or do you feel like they, they try to train around it? Ooh, I'd say that's a pretty, I'd say it's a relatively even split. I feel like I have as much trouble convincing someone who wants to press overhead that maybe they shouldn't at the moment as I do convincing someone that probably should be doing some pressing overhead, or at least some pressing in general, yeah. that it's okay to do it. I mean, I guess more often than not, the more troubling one is when somebody won't do it but i mean i don't know i don't yeah, even no, know if i call that more troubling but i'd say it's a pretty even split yeah i mean Depends if someone on the person if someone has the ability to do it but they have fear and apprehension i think right. that's bad yes yeah um, that's kind of yeah that's more so yeah. that that i see as a problem but i like how you mentioned right in the middle because this just it, it perfectly shows how each individual we have to look at them again individually and say okay in this presentation you're okay. We need you to do more. Whereas you have the people that bulldoze right through. I have it. I'm going to keep going. Well, well, do you have it? Yeah, you can't. You do get to a certain point where you need to know when to throttle it back. Mm -hmm. You know, and for a lot of those people, it's, you know, okay, let's, let's make sure you're good from your arm by your side up to 90 degrees. We sh that should be pain-free. Let's yeah. get you there. And then it's, can we get you from 90 to 120 degrees, 130 then can we get you 130 to 180? Uh, and then can we do an actual vertical press? So, but I, I, I've seen a mix of both. So I'm glad you you answered it the, the way that you did. Now, let's say someone comes in, says, I've had shoulder impingement. I took two to three weeks off. I'm ready to get back into it. What are some exercises that you recommend that they do immediately? So strengthen exercises. We'll talk about kind of the all the normal stuff we do, uh, okay. but strength and exercises. So non, non-mobility, non-soft Exactly, soft just stick tissue. to strengthening okay. right now, and then we'll, we'll tie it all back in together about what a perfect plan of care would look like if okay. you were doing it on your own. Pressing or overhead? Or like, just like, let's say irritability is low, you can okay. start to get them started again, just, they're ready, they're not fearful. Where would you start them? What do you need to see first in order to say, okay, I'm ready to do this, and then kind of walk me through your progressions. Yep. So if it's if it's somebody that's relatively lower conditioning, I'm not talking about somebody that could bust out 50 push-ups in a minute. If it's somebody that's a little bit lower, I'm probably starting with something like a floor press. Restricting the range of motion a little bit on the press so that I can adjust the arm position and try and see if I can find a pain-free range of motion without with using the floor as a feedback mechanism to not allow them to go beyond their range of motion. Yeah, great exercise. 
Um, from that point, then it becomes a regular chest press of some kind where they theoretically could go into it. Um, and that's, I like to go single arm, like with a dumbbell, because then I can also adjust the wrist. I can adjust the elbow. It's not locked in with a barbell. Okay. So still regular being on a bench. Yes. 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 Um, once I can get that, then assuming that I haven't also at the same time been adding it in, I'm doing something like a, a landmine press or something that is a little bit of incline, but not an overhead incline. All right. So, and, and that I think is important for people to, to understand. So Adam's talked about it perfectly, but really he started off by limiting motion to make sure that someone can actually do what they're supposed to. And then he slowly added more stress to the area. But instead of just going from a horizontal press to a vertical press, he essentially put them in an in-between position. So that is kind of the best example of how we can go about progressing someone when they have a known injury. When someone doesn't have an injury, we can skip steps. But where it's been problematic, we need to make sure someone doesn't get flared up. We need to make sure they're not compensating. So yes, these are things that we think about, uh, things that we're aware of when people don't have injuries, but you know, we really need to pay attention to it because let's say the person did have two, three weeks of pain. Hmm. How do they compensate over those two to three weeks? So we need to we need to be mindful of that. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I thought that no, was that's a, fine. That, that was... was a great, great exercise to describe because what would the next progression be? Let's say they can do a landmine press. Where do you bring them next? Probably an overhead press yeah. of some kind. So, yeah. And that's where I figured you were going with it. And but that just highlighted perfectly. And and really with with physical therapy, uh, if there's one area that I feel students lack. It's therapeutic exercise. And, and I usually will tell them, don't worry about it. It takes practice. You need to work with someone. And in the case, you, you described everything I tried to teach them with therapeutic exercise. You're not a PT. You didn't sit in therapeutic exercise class. But you've learned over time, if someone hurts doing a bench press, I cannot stand them up and have them press vertical. I need to fill in the in-between. And that's it's clinical reasoning. It's clinical decision-making. And the only way you get that is, is experience, you know, because I'm, I'm, I know I have pushed people too fast, too early, and I flared up symptoms. Yep. I still do it now. I'm just much better at recognizing it, um, identifying those who I can push a little more and those who I need to take a step back. Um, so that that's a, a very good example of the way that we should be going about it. Now, for the person on the other end of the spectrum, you know, hey, when, when this happens, it's 6 out of 10, but it's really not stopping me. I, I can deal with it. Okay, what exercise is bothering you? Oh, it's definitely the overhead press. Where do you like to take them to still get them pressing without using a landmine press? Because I have my progression to, of it, but I want to see how you feel about it. Or regression, for that matter. So, not an overhead press, not a landmine press. And once I say it, you'll you'll probably know. You'll probably agree, but I mean, I'm not sure if I'm going a completely different direction. But I know that in the past, when I have somebody that's relatively has pain when pressing overhead, a lot of times, what I but wants to be going overhead still. I like to use more isometric type stuff. I mm-hmm. like using 
like carry farmers like overhead carries things like that where they can work on their stability and their strength in that upper but they're not necessarily going through the range of motion creating um not compensation irritation in the joint um i'm not quite sure if that's where you were going or it, not it, but it is uh, there was just one more piece that i usually will add to it it's generally not the top position of the press where people have their issues it's usually going to be the initiation of usually that first 30 degrees of pressing or they'll feel it eccentrically coming back down. Generally, okay. it's because the elbow comes down. With a barbell, the issue I find, or even dumbbells for that matter, when the hands are on the barbell, it's a fixed path. You yeah. can't really change it at that point. So even if it's a dumbbell and people take out an elbow out position, mm -hmm. almost like they're with a barbell, first thing I do is have them draw in. So okay. palms, palms facing each other. Yeah. All right. Can I change the position of the joint? Because we know that tissue slack is gonna get taken up if I'm way out here mm. in a basically an externally rotated position. Then can I do that position, even if it's just one arm at a time, so single arm press with a dumbbell. If that's okay, then I may have them just continue that way. Or can I just keep it locked overhead? Can I keep bicep? So you already went one step further from where I was, but I usually just try to change the position of the shoulder. Yep. Uh, that's really the big thing that I try to change. And for most people, it, it's a good change. You know, it takes away some of their, their discomfort. It may not be perfect, but it allows them to complete the exercise. Um, and then of course there are other changes that I'll, I'll make after that. Then usually from there, then I go to my landline press. Um, and even that, I feel a lot of people do that wrong. I'm okay with a half kneeling position, tall kneeling, standing, posi position of the lower body. I, it really doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is how close the hand is coming to the shoulder. If the hand comes too close, and I've seen this way too often, it drives my elbow really down and back, yeah. which puts all the pressure on the front of the shoulder. So especially if someone has shoulder discomfort like a shoulder impingement, I usually like to have about a four inch gap between the shoulder and the, uh, the hand, only because it allows them to have good muscle length tension. Um, it's just when we start from behind, it's just gonna cause way too much shoulder pain when we're going through a forceful muscle contraction. So, um, but overall, very, very good exercise for the, uh, the average individual. Now we've talked about pressing stuff. How important, are postural based exercises. So shoulder blade squeezing, shoulder blade retraction, whatever you choose to call it. How much emphasis should someone be focusing on that during their training? I think a ton. Um, your shoulder, the way your shoulder blade moves along your rib cage is so, is such a huge piece of how your shoulder functions overall. So yeah, I think it's, having that movement is super important i think and if we really think about the shoulder because it's a mobile segment we've talked about the mobility stability continuum for movement to occur we need a solid base mm -hmm. in the case of a non-weight bearing joint like the shoulder the shoulder blade has to be the stable base on the thorax it's not going to be very stable if it's protracted or rounded forward yeah so we need to pull it back. Now, do I do I necessarily care about having great posture all the time? No. And the way I usually describe it to people is you can sit in bad posture, but you also have to let your body know where good posture is, and then you have to become resilient on the in-between. 
But with postural stuff, in order to teach the body to have a solid foundation, you have to practice it over mm-hmm. and over and over again. So when I start people off with like a, a banded row, so it's like we have two steps before you're even allowed to move your arms. You have to set the chin, yep. so chin tuck. You have to set the shoulder blades. And then at that point, then you're allowed to row. I'm amazed how many people cannot set their chin and set their shoulder blades. Right. Because if I'm setting my chin, usually you'll see their shoulders round. Right. Because they put the upper traps on slack, same with the pecs. Or if they get to the point, chin tuck, and then shoulder blade tuck, all of a sudden they lose the chin tuck. Yeah. So they're like, wow, this feels really hard. And it's like, well, you're always going the other way. You have to set yourself up for success where it's there's step one, step two, step three. You have to ingrain those patterns so much that you no longer have to think about step one and step two. And that, that I feel a lot of people don't pay attention to, which then turns into all the compensations you described before. Because it's a lot easier. If I get rid of good posture, I can serve energy. And then when I can serve energy, it feels easier. So um, super important. But right away it's okay if, if you have shoulder impingement let's get you into a good position let's set you up for success first because then when we think about an overhead press especially with a barbell where you're punching through the window mm-hmm. coming through um, we don't want the person to just chin tuck chin, or chin yeah. poke we want their entire trunk to come forward so that we can actually have a normal motor pattern now we talked to are, are there any other strengthening exercises that that you like to give for me it's like band pull aparts yeah it, habitual stuff um scap retraction anything where i can add those components together and then i'll actually do it overhead too so um instead of doing a band pull apart here i'll do an overhead band pull apart yep all it does is teaching cervical retraction or chin tucks and uh scapular retraction in an upwardly rotated position so just when the arms are overhead so i like like wall slides stuff like <clears throat> exactly that. same They're, again difficult same, to, yeah, yeah same concept um you know great exercises though that i think everyone should perform however i do see a lot of people that perform these exercises every day because they went to a pt they went to a sports chiro they went to someone they were having some shoulder pain with overhead pressing Oh, you're weak. How often do you find that people are truly weak? In pressing or overhead pressing? Just in their rotator cuff muscles, in their whatever. I mean, we test muscles when people come in. I'll do resisted isometrics, and, and we try to check an individual muscle group. I just, most people are not gonna be weak. Mm. So we can have, so if we look at the definition of strength, it's gonna be the amount to have maximum contractility against a resistance. And then there's dynamic strength and all this other crap that they're coming up with now. But I just don't see people walking through my door as being weak. I think their motor patterns are inefficient. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So if that's the case, if their motor patterns are inefficient, creating a dysfunction, and we're just handing them strengthening exercises, Right. Do you think the strengthening exercises are going to fix the dysfunction? No. So now they're just becoming dysfunctionally strong. Yeah. And in the short term, they may be fine, but it's going to build another bad pattern down the road. Right. And it just, I I actually had a a person in this morning 
And she said, I went to this place for X body part. And I said, let me guess, they gave you stabilization exercises. She said, yeah. And I just said, because they just assumed you were weak and that's why you had back pain. It's like there are plenty of strong people that have back pain. Does that mm -hmm. mean they're weak? Right. There are plenty of weak people that don't have back pain. Does that mean they're strong? Again, so we need to be able to define this. Um, but it's just funny how, how people get so caught up in, in one thing that they're missing the bigger picture. I personally find that there's a lot of uh, pliability issues, yeah. uh, a lot of mobility issues. And I know this, you know, Adam and I are beating a dead horse because we talk about this stuff every week. However, that's how important it is. You know, we're fortunate, you know, you tell people how to work out, but at the end of the day, they're going to still do their strengthening stuff. So it's not like you have to build a lot of special things for people. It's like, all right, we know you work out. What are some other tangible things that we can do to enhance your strengthening? You know, and that's, you know, when you were here at, at the gym, you know, really it wasn't a matter of me having to say, oh, Adam, make sure they're doing exercise X, Y, and Z because you already knew what to do. Right. Now it's a matter of, oh, I know you tried the soft tissue stuff with them, but I'm gonna give them this one targeted thing to do, just make sure they do it before you know, they do X, Y, or Z. So really that's our goal is to really try to find these little, again, tangible things that we can really have directed treatment to the area. Now, this is where it usually sounds all the same, but I think it's important to highlight. If someone comes in, they press overhead, ouch, ouch, there's my pain, you notice rounding of their upper back, heads poking forward, they can't get a true vertical position, where's your mind instantly taking you as far as what this person needs for better mobility, better soft tissue pliability? What are you giving them first? What's your go-to? So did you say non-soft tissue stuff? No, so I want oh, so soft, soft tissue, tissue stuff. Um. So, shoulder pain. I mean, the big places I'm looking are the traps, yep. the pecs, yep. and the, like, the lat. I don't know what, I can't remember what you call this area where everything comes together right over here. The lat, serratus, yep. rota that whole area that everything gets bound all, up in. All the things that pull you forward. Yes. So, the I mean, the, the first big one for me, I feel like in... I don't always give this one first, even though I think it's more more often the problem is because some people, it can be hard to conceptualize that your pec is the reason that your shoulder hurts. Or like, sorry, that your tightness in the front is why you have pain in the back. Mm -hmm. But I think more often than not, that's the, the first place that probably should go is trying to open up your chest, whether it's with a lacrosse ball and the yep. pecs or whatever. And then kind of work your way to the back. And you and I have talked a bunch about it, um, and we've talked about it here on, on this podcast. The site of pain and the site of dysfunction may be two separate places. Yeah. So if we only assume the site of pain is the site of dysfunction, we're missing the bigger picture. And those are the people that just aren't getting better. So how you just describe the pec could be causing the posterior impingement pain or whatever you choose to call it, the back of the shoulder could also be causing the front of the shoulder pain. And I've, I've mentioned uh, Vladimir Janda before. He's the one that came up with upper cross syndrome, lower cross syndrome, uh, layer syndrome, which is basically a combination of the two. But when he looked at those compensation patterns, he basically noticed, okay, if I'm having pain in the front of my hip, 
that dysfunction is usually coming from something going on in the glute. Right. Great. Let me check the back. Can we apply that same concept to the shoulder? Sure. If I'm having shoulder impingement in the front, I need to check the back. How many times have you dug around your rotator cuff with a lacrosse ball and it just freaking hurt? Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, it's all I don't know. Every time? <laughs> well, it's, it's usually tender to begin with. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then you get like one spot and it feels like your shoulder's going to rip right off. Yep. Like it's it's awful. It's just like your glute. There are times you may not think your glute's tight. You sit on the lacrosse ball and then it feels like someone's jamming a knife up your backside. I mean, right. it's just not, it's not fun. I mean, it kind of is, but not fun. But that's usually along with the places you describe the rotator cuff is usually a place where I'll, I'll say listen we need to go and at the very least we got to loosen up the tenderness we got to draw some awareness to the area so i usually will start with the, that soft tissue stuff first what do you like to do for pure mobility exercises for the shoulder so from there once i've loosened it up um things like overhead reaches uh shoulder flexion drills yeah um i really like i know i mentioned them already but i really like the wall slides um especially for um shoulder blade movement um if they still need a little bit more than just hitting the pecs with a lacrosse ball then maybe like a doorway stretch or something like that to open up a little further uh so those are i'd say those are my big ones yeah, I do all those as well. The Open old, books, sideline windmills. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I also like doing um, shoulder passovers or shoulder dislocates, as they used to call them, yeah. where you take the PVC pipe and pass it over. Oh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. yep. So I like that one a lot, and especially with my older adults. I really think that can be beneficial because with older adults, we tend not to use 180 degrees of shoulder flexion, mm-hmm. and it's not because we can. We just get rid of it. Right. So if they only have to lift 140 degrees, their body says, hey, get rid of the other 40. We don't need it. So I think just pushing them back into that position can be beneficial. So I really try to get that overhead mobility back with a nice wide grip following all the exercises that, that you've described. Another one that I like doing are the banded shoulder distractions. Yep. So the, the huge bands out there. Um, and it's the same thing as like you or I grabbing on to someone's shoulder and just giving a little bit of traction. So I tend to use that as well. I'll use that for the hip. There's multiple body parts that you can do that stuff for. Um, really with all the tools that we've described and with the resources that are out there, you know, anyone can find anything that they need to work on. I mean, and you could fill up 12 hours a day, seven days a week doing all these things. We oh, just yeah. don't want to. So we're trying to make it a little bit more efficient. Um, so loosen it up, gain the mobility back. And we talked about the strengthening stuff. If you don't groove the pattern, the body will always fall back into its bad habit. And you've got to keep up with it. And that's really, if someone has come to see me for uh, physical therapy, I usually will tell them, listen, we're going to front load the home exercises. You have to do them multiple times a day. You really don't want to be going to fatigue and you don't want to necessarily be pushing through the pain. You can kiss it, but don't push through it because we need to develop that habit. The more habit we can build in the beginning, the less that we actually have to focus on the activity. So for someone who comes to work out at the gym, the the goal would be, or, or someone that you're working with online, the goal is, all right, we've done this enough now. Now we should only have to do it when you're working out. So five minutes before, do it, and you've, you're gonna offset a lot of that stress. But a lot of people don't recognize that. If you're giving 
stabilization, control, rehabituation exercises, how often do you recommend that people work on them? If they have shoulder stuff, it's I'm giving some form of it every single time they train. Um, let's be honestly, even if they don't have shoulder stuff, I'm giving them some stuff. Uh, every I, single ideal, day ideal world. I mean, I, sure. oh yeah, ideal world. You do it every day. Yeah, ideal world. I would do it every day. Exactly. But I don't. Um, ideally, every day I would wake up and do ten minutes of shoulder work and ten minutes of hip work to keep myself. But just because we. As everyone, just because we know what to do doesn't mean that we always do it. And we got this thing called life that usually takes over. I, I'm i sorry that if this is diverting too much, but I think it's just, I don't know, I think it's funny. I Last week, I didn't work out for a couple days. I don't remember why, but I was super tight. <clears throat> so we were watching Yellowstone, actually. By the way, thanks for getting me absolutely hooked on that show. Oh my god, it's so addicting. Um, and while I was watching, I did. I went through probably 15 minutes of like roll it, stretch it, move into this area, roll it, stretch it, roll it, stretch it. And I was so loose that I had after that that I actually had not had trouble walking, but like it was like you had to reprogram yourself. Yeah, it was. I've, it's been a long time since I felt like that. It was just I must have been really bound up. But regardless, I mean. If I was doing some of that every day, it wouldn't have been such a marketable difference when I spent 20 minutes sure. doing it. But I, I think we can see how it didn't take much to have you feel that way. Right. You know, and that that's what a lot of people and, – and a lot of people are on the, the – the, uh, if, if this little created this much, then I'm going to have to do this all the time forever. And it's right. like, no – and then there are the other people that, oh, I just don't have to do it. Okay, we got to meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> um, you know, for, for me, I think if you're doing one dedicated mobility session like that a week, yep, that's great. Just be consistent with it. If you do two, awesome. If you're work. doing some mobility work every day, great. I just think no one has the time to do that. Now, I've recommended different body parts. Yep. So I've recommended to people, okay, today's going to be just hips. You know, Wednesday is going to be just ankles. So, and I know sometimes there's there's overflow and carryover, but um, again, I, ideal world, we'd wake up, we'd have minimal stress to begin with. We'd probably meditate, do yoga, have our mobility right. stuff, have a great breakfast, yeah. um, be able to go work out. All your bills would already be paid for you, <laughs> <clears throat> and th- and that just doesn't happen. So, it's it's the ability to to find what works best for you, but. Um, not so much now at night because I do a lot of studying at night now, but um, prior to going back to school, like Friday nights were a great night. Celtics would play during the mm-hmm. wintertime on a Friday night. I'd foam roll and stretch for an entire Celtics game. Yeah. It, it was just the way you described it. I'd roll a little bit, stretch a little bit, roll a little bit, you know, and, and just doing that for a couple weeks. There's, you know, your your joint stiffness goes away. Yeah. You wake up in the morning, you don't feel tight. Um, your warm-ups are more efficient at the gym. Yep. Um, and that was the one big thing, yoga. Like, I'm a huge fan of yoga for for a lot of reasons. Um, but once someone actually is able to relax in yoga, which yeah. especially males, not a lot of us can. We, we go, <laughs> oh, this is dumb. I could be doing anything else. But when you finally allow yourself to relax, like, it's amazing how you can put your body into positions 
that probably you never thought were possible and you feel better. So that, I'm all, again, ideal world, everyone would be taking yoga and all that fun stuff, but unfortunately, that's not, not the reality. Yeah. Now, if we have a listener who says, well, I've never had sh- um, shoulder impingement, <clears throat> pardon me, what are three things that I can do to make sure that it never happens? What are the, what are the three things that you'd want to see them do? Roll those areas that we talked about. Mm-hmm. So let's say you can only pick one of those areas. Chest. Okay. Pecs. Whatever. Sure. Pectorals. Uh, nail those with a cross ball. Do a doorway stretch. That kind of thing. Um, continue to work overhead. Whether that means you press overhead or you just work on reaching overhead. Yeah. Um, and continue to keep the joint moving in different planes. It doesn't have to be weighted. It doesn't have to be... Mm-hmm. I mean, like... But... I guess, uh, let me let me rephrase. The third one would be, don't shut the joint down. Mm-hmm. Those would be my big three. If I had to pick one, hit the chest with a lacrosse ball, maybe do a doorway stretch, continue to strengthen the joint, and don't lock the joint. Don't just stop using it. Yeah, so I, I'd agree with all of them. I would just like to sneak in there. Really, the postural-based exercises, even yeah, like okay, a band, yes. band pull-apart, yeah. I think can go a far way to just really keeping people honest about their posture. Yeah. Um, because if there's a day that their head pokes forward, shoulders roll forward, the body will eventually let them know when a bad pattern actually feels bad. Yeah. You have to teach it what good feels like first. So, you know, it's like right now, if, if we were to go out in the gym, purposely try to roll our shoulders forward and do a band pull-apart, our shoulders would freaking kill. Yeah. Because we've been putting ourselves into a great position. Oh. Yeah, exactly. I don't like that. Um, so we know. <laughs> lock it all in. We know what good should feel like, so bad actually feels bad. Um, it's just most of us do bad so much that we don't know what good feels like, so we have to get there first. And, and we can... This concept, as we've talked about over 50 other um, episodes... It's really the ability to keep up with these good habits over time. And we've just found, just from experience, uh, you know, the, the anecdotal evidence speaks for itself that find the areas that need some attention as far as self-massage is concerned. So foam roll, massage gun, lacrosse ball, whatever tool you want to use, then we need to improve the mobility and or flexibility. So we need to stress the joint to its end range and teach it to be comfortable there. And then we need to load it. And that's where the strengthening comes in. Yeah. So, and I really think if, if we have all three of those aspects covered in some capacity, the likelihood of a significant event occurring, injury, is reduced. We can never decrease it 100%, but we're giving ourselves the best opportunity to prevent it from happening, or we can manage it quicker if it does happen. Um, does everyone, does every single client or patient need equal amounts of self-massage, end range mobility or stretching work and loading? No. The more stiff people are going to be more towards the left with the self-massage and the mobility. Mm-hmm. The hypermobile or the super flexible people are going to be more to the right with strengthening, loading, stability, whatever you choose to call it. So um, if you're not sure where you are in that spectrum... That's why you should see someone who knows. So um, if you have a good idea, if you're super stiff, then you at least know where to start. 
I would just caution that some people that feel they're super stiff could be super flexible in other areas. So oftentimes we don't just want to press guess and assume. We want to make sure that you're getting evaluated so that you're not going to hurt yourself more in the end. So, all right. Anything else that you want to mention for shoulder impingement? Something important that maybe I haven't touched upon? No, I think the most important, I think that the way to think about shoulder impingement or even frozen shoulder, any of those, if you have them or have had them, is that the most important, and you can, you can totally call me out if I'm totally wrong on this, but I feel the most important part is that you keep moving it to whatever range you have. Yeah, available range. If you're somebody that keep nailing it with the lacrosse ball, keep even if you're not seeing massive differences. I mean, you've talked before in past podcasts about how long it can actually take for adhesive capsulitis, frozen, full-on frozen shoulder, all this stuff can take months, even up to a year, depending on how bad it is. Correct. So, but... The only thing that's going to happen from not moving it is that you're going to continue to push that date out. Yeah. I think. I mean, no, that's, that's, it's, I mean, we do know with frozen shoulder it's self limiting, but we also know if we can get it moving. Yes. You have a better likelihood of progressing through the phases faster. Right. And there's some newer research coming out saying, listen, our, our muscular system is really just an extension of our endocrine system. And every time we contract it, it's pumping out all these. You know, uh, they call them uh, hope hormones. Mm -hmm. So think about that. Every time you move, every time you exercise, every time you go for a walk, every time anything that contracts a muscle, it's your endocrine system really shelling out positive hormones. Like that alone, it's like, yes, we know that the epinephrine, dopamine, all that fun stuff. Yes, from exercise, we can get the feel-good hormones. But even if someone goes for a walk, that's going to give your frozen shoulder a, a better opportunity to, to heal faster than doing nothing. Yep. So for those people who sit down and, and try to avoid injury by doing nothing, I can't, I can't promise that's that's going to be the best thing for you. You'll notice less pain, but you're going to be, well, no, I mean. You'll also notice like, less, less function. Yes, I was going to say. You'll notice less pain-ish, but you'll also, exactly. You'll notice significantly decreased function too, and potentially pulmonary cardiac disease, diabetes, all that. Fun oh stuff yes, that yes. I just meant it. not even moving the shoulder. Never mind, no, not I, moving I went at all. The, I, yeah, I just okay, went yeah. For the, for the full yeah, thing, definitely. For the full. All right, guys. So that's it today for shoulder impingement. Uh, hopefully, you got something out of this. Again, this is something that plagues all of us, but our goal is just to stay ahead of it. So you guys know the drill. All the information will be at the bottom of the podcast. Uh, Adam's email will be there if you need to reach out with some questions. Because, again, we always want to make sure that you guys are staying relatively injury-free and that we can continue to help you along with your health and wellness endeavors. So until next week, take care, and we'll talk to you then. Later, guys.